RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, on Reality Check Radio, I want to welcome Matt Letissier. You might have heard that name. If you're into football, you would have. And maybe if you've been following the news in the last few years, overseas news and the chat, you would have seen his name as well, or it might be familiar to you. Uh, he has an experience to tell us about, and I want to welcome him to our radio station. Matt, thanks for beaming in all the way from the UK. We appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. All right. So a footballer um, in earlier years, morphing into the broadcast space, the sports broadcasting space, uh, which is like a kind of a natural transition from a, a high achieving sports person into uh, that sort of role, taking all that experience with you. So they look like, from what I've seen, were pretty good years for you, you know, broadcasting, doing the thing you love. People obviously uh, liked what you did. You know, you were comfortable in the chair. You'd sort of set mm-hmm. yourself in, right? Yeah, I'd been uh, working for Sky Sports over here in the UK uh, since I retired. Um, firstly, uh, a bit of freelance for two or three years after I retired and then under contract to them for, for 15 years. And yeah, it was. It was a, it was a fantastic job. I, I loved my job. I never got up once on a on a Saturday morning and uh, and thought, oh no, I've got to go to work today. Um, yeah. it, it really never felt like work. So uh, so yeah, I was more than happy um, just commentating on the football, uh, giving my thoughts on football. You know, it's a game I loved, a game I grew up with. Spent seventeen years as a uh, as a player at Southampton Football Club. And uh, and yeah, the transition into the the media seemed the obvious thing. Is I didn't really want to go to coaching or management, um, and so uh, so the media was the way I, I chose to go. And yeah, I had a, I had a fantastic time uh, up until 2020 when the world seemed to change, and um, and having an opinion uh, was no longer acceptable if it was the wrong type of opinion. You're not there for opinions. You're there to commentate on the sport. You should have known that. <laughs> I should have told you that well, very clearly. Well, I always did that while I was on air and uh, on on a sports program. Uh, on my uh, and I would only ever uh, speak about football while I was on air. Um, but it was the stuff that I was posting on social media that that uh, kind of went against the grain of what my uh, what my employers wanted everyone to think. That's a very good point you've just made because here you are doing your job on a broadcast medium which essentially now means with the other um, outlets and uh, platforms available, you really don't have a private life anymore, do you? Um, even if you wanted it. Uh, yeah, I mean, being a, being a Premier League footballer and then, uh, and then working in the media, um, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to, to have a private life. I've done my very best to try to do that and to try to live my life normally. Uh, I, I consider myself a... Uh, a fairly normal bloke. Um, I've never really chased the uh, the limelight, the celebrity limelight. I've never chased money in my life. Um, uh, and I kind of just love football and I wanted to play football and, and live a normal life with, with my family. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting uh, change of life over the last few years, that's for sure. Kind of what I meant is no matter what, you're always sort of broadcasting. Oh yeah, of course, and uh, obviously I, I choose to go on on social media as well. So I mean, I could have I could have chosen not to, um, but I, I like the interaction with people. I, I liked um, you know being on social media, uh, debating things of decisions that have happened in, in my sports that I loved, um, and you know basically my life has revolved around sport for kind of the first 51 years of it and then uh <laughs> and then in, in March 2020 all of a sudden that uh, that changed and my, my priorities changed because I I saw 
that my government was starting to overreach into my life in a way that I wasn't comfortable with and I wasn't going to sit there and take it. Yeah, I want to get right onto that in just a moment, but I'm, I'm curious, how big were your audiences? And I'm, the way I'm going here is how big was the fan base? How big was the, you know, the earned audience that you were about to be disconnected from? Um, well, in terms of social media, um, my my Twitter following is uh, is now up to about six hundred twenty thousand. Wow. Um, okay. That was that was at about half a million before uh, the pandemic started. Oh, so there's been quite a bump. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's also it's also taken a bit of a hit. I, you know, I've noticed that uh, Twitter don't particularly like me getting to certain thresholds, and they tend to chop followers away from me even oh, okay. to this day. <laughs> Even to this day, they're uh, they're starting my, my account. Yeah, they're not not completely. No, not by any any way, shape, or form. I mean, there's still shadow banning going on. Uh, there's still followers being chopped. Wow. Um, and uh, and so yeah, it's still happening. Uh, maybe not to the extent that it was before Elon took over. Well, what, what about the you know the TV happening. audience? Uh, that, that must have been uh, quite sizable given the you know the space you're in. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Sky Sports is number one uh, Premier League broadcaster in the UK, um, uh, and so yeah, there was a, a pretty sizable demographic there that were watching. Um, it was one of the most popular shows on the uh, on the channel. Uh, I never, I, I never really knew what kind of the viewing figures were. Right, um, just knew they didn't really get they didn't get really get released. We just knew it was that it was you know one of the most popular shows on the on the channel. So. Um, so there was quite a few, yeah, and uh, I'm also on on a social media channel called Getter, um, which have yep. got over seventy thousand followers on that as well. So, um, so yeah, I've reached quite a few people. Okay, so everything's sailing along. All this starts to happen. The overreach becomes obvious to you. It was completely obvious, wasn't it? I mean, how could anyone miss that? <laughs> um, to those of us who could see it, it seemed really obvious. Um, but I can also I can also understand a little bit that some people who, you know, have no reason to question uh, their government have no reason to question the the BBC, uh, despite them, you know, uh, protecting paedophiles down the years. Uh, they still yeah. think that the BBC are, um, you know, really honest and truthful and, and tell you, you know, everything that's going on in the world and everything they say is true, which is uh, an absolute lie, first and foremost. So uh, the, the propaganda was very strong in those first few weeks, um, you know, it was everywhere, uh, and they did a really good job in brainwashing a lot of people. Fortunately, there were there were a sizable majority of us that could see through that um, bull, and um, and we we were speaking out and and trying to raise the awareness to other people who could uh, have the ability to think for themselves and, and who hadn't been completely brainwashed by the propaganda. Um, and slowly and, and surely, the, the tide started to turn. From you know, broadcaster now. You mentioned the word propaganda, the messaging, the the architecture of of the messaging, all those things. Can you believe? Because we got the same thing here. Can you believe how total that was? Uh, it was incredible. It was just blanket. It was blanket coverage everywhere. It was all over the place, and it's a very coordinated, a uh, very well planned attack on humanity. Um, I, I believe that this plan has been in place for many many decades. Um, and you know they did it. They did it very, very well. Uh, you know, if you're going to conjure up an evil plan, uh, it's a big one. But fortunately, there are there are still enough people uh, in the world who can see through the nonsense. Um, and as I said, who didn't get brainwashed by the propaganda, um, and, uh, and we we fought back. 
I want to pick up on on that plan for a long time. Um, you know, I've wondered that, and I know plenty of our listeners would be wondering that because they, they they're having to to work out somehow how all the piece parts fitted together and why things that seem to be in place now that you realize that were put in place, you know, we've had some laws enacted here five, six years ago, which have made kind of where we're at now possible. Now, you know, um, is that a coincidence or not? But it seems to crop up all the time. So plan for a long time. What, What has been planned, do you think? And how long ago was this set in motion, do you think? Um, I, I, I believe this plan has been in, uh, in place for decades. I think they've been working on it for decades. Um, uh, what is the plan? Uh, I think the ultimate plan is to is to control uh, society with um, digital IDs. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of the stuff that uh, people were, were shouting conspiracy theories at a couple of years ago. A lot of that stuff is starting to come true. So we saw the, you know, the push to try to mandate vaccines in this country. Uh, and around the world, um, that got some serious pushback. Uh, you know, we saw lots of things being implemented, like 15-minute cities over here in the UK. I don't know what's happening over in your part of the world, but uh, but here in the UK, there's there's a lot of plans. There's, you know, ultra-low emission zones. They're, they're calling it in the name of climate change to, to stop people from travelling, basically. They don't want people traveling you know they they want them just locked down in a little 15 minute cities don't go anywhere easy to control um and i'm afraid that too much of the stuff that was uh being called conspiracy theory uh, a couple of years ago uh too much evidence is around to to tell you that actually there's no conspiracy about it all they're trying to implement this stuff you know central bank digital currencies all that kind of stuff is all part of it um you know and it's just it's insidious the the creep the mission creep to take away our freedoms uh little by little um is is just pretty obvious to me uh but they're doing it very cleverly and a lot of people are blinded by it and a lot of people think because it's you know they're doing it in very small incremental measures that they tend not to uh, not to notice it, uh, and it's the the classic case of, of boiling the ethical frog. But yeah. um, there are people that are uh, are aware of it, and um, and we're we're trying our best to make others aware of it who are open minded to to these kind of thoughts. That conspiracy theory thing is funny because if you run the checklist now, you say like conspiracy theory, then now check, <laughs> check, check, check yeah. all the way down the list, but that doesn't seem to persuade. A lot of people, you know, that's conveniently, oh, well, okay, look over there. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff going on. There's a lot of uh, willful blindness. Uh, I think people are very uncomfortable um, with the fact that they um, that they realise that they've been lied to by their government on a, on a grand scale. Um, uh, and it, it challenges their, their worldview and they're not comfortable with that. So they, they double down. And uh, and they don't want to hear, don't want to look at evidence, um, because unfortunately they're they're too emotionally invested uh, in the other side, uh, and you know, cold hard facts um, do not override their emotions. Simple as that. I'm sure whatever plan there was anticipated that too. I would imagine. Now your your own personal experience in your role, uh, Sky Sports. And this starts to tighten up. You start to say things. Then what happens to you? Um, yeah, so I started speaking out about, uh, you know, how stupid lockdowns were and uh, uh, and all that kind of stuff very early on. Um, 
Uh, and then the George Floyd thing happened and, you know, the world went crazy. Uh, you know, all part of the, all part of the plan. The dividing Sorry, do you think they used, that, that was used as a form of propaganda as well, his death? Ah, 100%, 100%. Uh, I mean, why did, why did they choose that one, that one thing to blow up and put on every single media outlet around the world? You know, yeah, there's lots of crimes that happen everywhere. You know, and they chose that one thing uh, to blow everything up, uh, and uh, it's a, it's a classic divide and conquer tactic. You know, they use the racism thing, the sexism thing, anything to divide and stop people uniting will be used. Um, there's multiple angles of attack. I believe humanity is being attacked. Uh, I think there is an attack on religion, uh, on, on Christianity in particular, um, and there's there's so many things. So I. Uh, we were told on Sky Sports that we uh, needed to wear a Black Lives Matter badge when we went on air. Uh, I was very wow. uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable with that, um, and I made my feelings clear about that. However, it was about a minute before we were due to go on air. We were told that you know we had to put these badges on, uh, and I questioned the director and said, "Do I have to wear this?" Because I knew what this. Uh, movement stood for and I wasn't comfortable with it uh, and he looked at me and he said uh, it's probably in your best interest if you do so basically he was mm. saying if I don't wear it I'm going to get sacked so so you know I had like 30 seconds to make this decision now so I put the badge on but um, so after the show I, I went straight to the director I was uncomfortable all afternoon with this thing on and, uh, and I took the badge off and I gave it back to him and I said look I said I will never ever wear that badge again I felt very uncomfortable uh, I'm, I'm not going to wear it again. If you wish me to wear a badge stating that I am, you know, against racism, then absolutely, because I am not a racist, but I will not be wearing that badge because I don't like what that movement stands for. Um, and uh, so I, I, I became the first person on Sky Sports to refuse to wear and probably uh, <laughs> the only one, but eventually uh, the the story started coming out about BLM uh, and um and eventually, uh, everybody stopped wearing the badge, and you know they stopped putting the Black Lives Matter logo all over the football matches and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so I think that was the first thing that probably didn't endear me to my bosses uh, at Sky. And then yeah. I was questioning, you know, questioning stuff about the, the Premier League and the COVID testing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and eventually, yeah, they they rang me up in August, late August of 2020, about a week before the season was due to start. Um, and told me there and then that I had um, there was no work for me anymore, uh, and that my t- contract would be terminated. I had seven months left on my contract, uh, and I was told that uh, that they would be terminating the contract immediately. Under the bus, uh, yeah, under the bus. Um, they also uh, to try to to try to cover up the fact they were sacking me for my views on social media. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, what did, they also you know, the sacked. Formal- what did the formal things say? What 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 was the terrible sin? Uh, uh, the, the terrible sin. Um, well, they also sacked two of my colleagues uh, who were okay. uh, a lot a lot older than me, um, and uh, uh, we were told that the show was going in a different direction. Oh yeah, um, That's and what that they there would say, be yeah. there would be no work for us anymore. So I think the whole uh, diversity thing. Uh, probably had a, a part to play in that. I think my views on social media also had a part to play because I asked that question uh, when they sacked me. Um, and it, it was an interesting response because I, I said, you know, is my sacking got anything to do with what I've been posting on social media? 
Uh, and the head of football at Sky's response was, uh, well, we do have to take into account the reputation of our company. Uh, well, there's your answer. And I, so I said it was interesting because there was a, a, another former footballer who was working on the channel who had actually um, uh, was filmed on social media spitting out of his car window at a young girl in the, in the car next to him. Um, and and was suspended. He was suspended from his job for about six months, and then uh, and then was allowed to go back to work, and is still working for the company now. So I, so I said, oh, I said that's interesting. I said because you didn't seem to bother about the reputation of your company when you reemployed Jamie Carragher after he spat at the young girl uh, in his car. Uh, at which point he quickly changed the uh, topic of conversation. I and didn't want to answer that point. So uh, that's so, how yeah. crazy it is, though. Right? That, 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 that is that's how, how it ended. Nutty it is. Oh, the world's the world's the world's gone mad. It's been turned upside down. Honestly, you're now you've got governments around the world prosecuting people for telling the truth and letting criminals off left, right, and centre. We had a case that was dismissed. Just just letting you know, two days ago here in this country, a guy who left his managed quarantine station during the lockdown to come into the country, and people had to go into the sort of quarantine for two weeks, which were converted or, or occupied hotels. Not very good hotels either, most of them, dives, mm. let's say. And he went out for some toothpaste. And um, the police busted him, and he was due to appear in court yesterday. But uh, the witness didn't turn up. So they jettisoned the case, which is sad because the judge would have had to have ruled on it and would have created a precedent. So there's yeah. talk that, you know, the witness, the security guard somehow conveniently disappeared but all over a tube of toothpaste this is how ridiculous it is it's crazy <laughs> the world's gone world's gone mad um and uh yeah it's it's our duty i think to to fight back against the madness that's going on what sort of reaction did you get uh, from your public once they realized you were no longer there and presumably you know there was talk of, of what could have happened here what, what happened after that uh, I had a lot of support publicly. Um, all three of us did that were sacked, actually, because the show was very much loved. And, was, um, uh, and I've been uh, been told by many people who have uh, come up to me in public that the uh, the show has never been the same since. It's gone downhill. A lot of people don't watch it anymore. Um, uh, I've not seen any viewing figures to compare, but uh, there's probably a reason why they're not releasing those. Um, uh, and so, yeah, the reaction was, was really positive from the... From the uh, public, when I whenever I go out now, you know, even even to this day, people still coming up and saying, "Blimey, we miss you on Sky," and you know, Charlie and, and Phil said it's not the same since you guys left. Um, but also, I get a lot of people coming up to me and shaking my hand and thanking me for the stance that I've taken on social media, um, because there is a, a hell of a lot of people that think the same way as I do, but don't have the same platform as me. Um, and uh, they're grateful that I've used my platform to to try to speak out and to try to to warn people of what's going on. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's encouraging. So, was it clear to you that the audience had a demand for, or had a sympathy for these causes? I mean, were they demanding that you know their hosts wear these badges or or, or sympathise with these causes? Uh, was there any consumer demand for it? Um, uh, I'm not sure there was a consumer demand for it. I think it was very much driven by by the the bosses at the uh, at the TV company. Um, I don't think too many uh, people 
who were in the industry wanted to question it because they needed their jobs. Uh, they needed to feed their family. They needed the, the money from their jobs, so they weren't going to weren't going to question what was happening. And, and I think a lot of them actually don't think too much about it anyway. They just go along with what they're told, um, generally in the media in their life, and uh, and, and don't want to think too deeply about things because uh, it makes them uncomfortable. I guess what I was heading to is if there's no audience demand, what the hell are you doing? Doing all of this. So well, it's coming it's, up from above. Do the executives believe in this? I'm trying to, how, how many onion layers is there before it hits the, you know, the well, primary it's driver? A, it's definitely a, a top-down thing. Uh, and I think there's there's threats from above. So it, it comes right from the top. Um, and it's just a, a top-down thing where the, the threats are there. So you, you tow the line or you get kicked out of the organisation. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but to want to do that to your audience when there's no ratings advantage or, or product advantage—that's the thing. They don't care about ratings. They don't. Oh. They're not. They're not interested in ratings. This isn't a business decision. Yeah, this is nothing to do with business. This is a. Uh, this is a a coup. I think um, of a of a takeover of the of the world, basically. Um, I think there is a far bigger agenda at play than than that's why these TV companies don't care about their um, don't care about their ratings. Um, you've got people like Bud Light who uh, who have taken an absolute battery yeah. because of of what they've done, um, but they don't care. They just want to get their propaganda out. They have no care for for rating. Sky TV was being used as a propaganda arm. Of course, uh, as is 90% of the mainstream media. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're all owned by a select group of people. They follow their what their masters tell them to do. And uh, it's become incredibly obvious to me over the last few years. Once your eyes are opened, it, everything kind of makes sense. So your colleagues that stayed quiet, did the relationships fall away? Um, no, I've not really fallen out with anybody over it. You know, I, I've... I'm very uh, I'm very open to the fact that people uh, react in different ways to different situations, uh, and so I've tried to be understanding, try to be compassionate, and try to gently um, bring them round to to my way of thinking, um, yeah. uh, and to to just drop little clues in every now and then, you know. And, and more and more people are starting to realise what's going on because a lot of people now. Uh, whenever I have conversations with people, the amount of people now that are falling ill uh, because of the uh, yeah. because of the vaccines is just astronomical. And um, every conversation I seem to have seems to involve somebody close to the person I'm speaking to uh, having a stroke or a, a heart attack at a very young age, and and strange side effects happening. And all of these side effects are listed in the side effects of uh, of the vaccine. So. Um, so yeah, I think more and more people are, are are waking up to what's going on. Enough, or potentially enough. Uh, I think it's certainly growing, uh, and I think I, I think as it stands at the moment, there's been enough pushback for us to have some small victories along the way. You know, I believe that the the mandatory vaccines um, they thought would have been in by now, yeah, um, but they had. Uh, they had such a pushback from it that they had to they had to roll back on that on those promises. And I think there's uh, also something we mentioned the 50 minute city. Some of the places in this country of uh, the people have stood up and kicked back against it, and they've had them overturned. 
so there will be there have been some small victories, uh, but the big war is is still going on, and I believe will be going on for a long time. And that's why we have to we have to stay strong, focus on what we're doing, um, and and not allow these people because I believe the, these people that are, are trying to do this are very much um, willing just to take any gains they can, and they will come again at some point in the future. Yeah, and I guess you learn from as you go as well. You see what works, what what doesn't, jettison Absolutely. what doesn't, and yeah. and uh, and hone in the the process. Okay, so big picture, where do you think it stops? Any idea about that? You must have thought about that. And win or lose? I mean, I've had this debate with people. I'm kind of on the slightly pessimistic side still about <laughs> ultimate victory, if there is to be a victory. Because it seems that the, um, you know, that the power arraigned against us or people who have woken up is pretty mighty, and as soon as that digitization sort of or digital prison kind of thing, particularly with um, central bank digital currencies, we've seen the Chinese social credit system. It's operating. It's a real thing. It works, and um, it might not be too far away. How optimistic or pessimistic are you? And this is a global thing in your mind, right? This is like the whole oh, absolutely. Earth. Hmm. No, this is completely a global thing. That's why you, you've you've had so much talk about global initiatives and you know the World Health Organization. And it it all seems pretty obvious to me that this is trying to lead to a one world government. Um, right. I, I think everything that uh, that says that now, what you have to understand is. Uh, these people who appear to be so powerful appear to have so much. Um, they can only survive and they can only win if they keep the people frightened and scared. Uh, now, so the way that we win uh, is when enough people say no. There are, I believe it's probably a few hundred people, a few hundred very powerful people who are trying to um enact what is going on at the moment and if you take those 300 people the rest of the world accounts for over 7 billion people now of those 7 billion people the vast majority of them are good people you know they are they are not racist people you know they are just good people who want to crack on with their lives have a nice time spend time with their family when those people stand up together they are so more powerful than the 300 or so people that are uh, planning this takeover of the planet. So I, I believe, uh, and I'm an optimist, I believe there are, are way more good people on this planet than there are bad. Yeah. And good will eventually defeat evil, even though evil is having a right good go at it. Uh, I think eventually the good people will uh, will defeat the evil ones. The attack on religion, particularly Christianity that you mentioned before, is interesting. Mm. That's part of it. Right, absolutely and- part of it. Yeah, absolutely. If you look back at the World Economic Forum, you look back at the, some of the stuff that they've uh, that, that they've spoken about down the years. One of them was was a one world religion, um, you know, and it all ties into the one world government. You know, that's why they want central bank digital currency so they can get rid of all the cash in the world. Um, you know, so there are there are things that you can do. So you, one of the most important things you can do, I believe, in this country is to is to make sure you keep using cash. Do not let cash disappear. Uh, it's a massive part of their plans. You know, once you have digital currency and no cash, you everything that you buy is tracked, and then everything you buy 
uh, can be controlled by your government. And that is a that is a ridiculously scary place to be in uh, because that is that's checkmate at that point. So as long as people realise that, um, then uh, then I think there will be enough people there to fight against that when they try to implement it. And you've got the world health regulations being in the process of being amended, um, which <laughs> could stop people going anywhere without a digital health pass. And that's a global. Yeah, thing. I mean that's that's ridiculous. I mean the, the World Health Organization have been so bad over the, f- the last few years in the in the way that they've handled what's gone on, uh, and yet here they are a, uh, a, a an organization that is not elected, uh, trying to take over. Uh, the sovereignty of all governments in the world uh, if there is a so-called health crisis. Now, those same people are more than capable of inventing their own health crisis, you know, as we've probably seen over the last few years. They can they can just invent a health crisis and go, right, that's it, there's a, there's a pandemic. They've changed the, the, the definition of the pandemic, so it's easier to, to declare one for a start. Um, and so this organization, headed, headed by the way, um, by a, um, a terrorist who's wanted in his own country, um, Tedros. Dr. Tedros. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Tedros. I mean, he's not, even a, he's not even a proper doctor. He's the first person who's not a proper doctor to, to head the, the WHO. He was clearly put into that position, um, elevated into that position because he's a corrupt individual um, and he has to do as he's told by the people in the shadows who don't wish to put their head above the parapet, uh, but will use puppets like Tedros to do their bidding for them. And, uh, uh, and I'm sorry, but uh, I, I, I will not ever um, submit to any WHO diktats that, that happen now or in the future. Particularly when declaring a pandemic um, is down to one person, that yeah. person. The now, corrupt individual, no, yeah. No one in your right mind would ever run an organisation at that scale with that much influence. With, I mean, even, and we can question them, but even a, a normal person could have like a brain fade moment one day and, you know, and be delirious and, and declare a <laughs> pandemic and the, and the whole world's locked down. I mean, it's ridiculous well, to put that power well, on one person. He already, I'm pretty sure he, he tried to declare it for the monkeypox. Uh, and and what happened to that and and I'll tell you what happened to it is people didn't take it seriously if if people had reacted in the same way to monkeypox as they did to COVID-19 three years ago we would not be in this position now Um, here's a here's a question because again I've had a few discussions with people regarding this quite a few people now have had to really think deeply and even I wouldn't say atheists but agnostics are starting to wonder if there's a spiritual dimension to this Yes, uh, that, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm probably one of those people. Um, uh, I, I've definitely seen this as a uh, as an attack on, as I said, religion and Christianity and spirituality. Uh, and I definitely think this is a this is a war of good versus evil. Uh, but I also think that the um, that the churches, certainly in this country, uh, I think have been infiltrated. Um, you know, they succumbed to all the, the COVID madness. You know, they, they shut their churches over here. Um, uh, and, you know, I think there are people at the heads of these organisations that are, that are corrupt as well. They're, they're, you know, been infiltrated by the World Economic Forum. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been a, a very well-organised, well-coordinated, well-planned attack. And people have been put in place over the years. 
um, and they've and they've really gone for it. Um, but uh, as I said, a lot of people are are seeing through it, uh, and I, and I do believe that that the good people will overcome the evil. Just a question of the collateral damage that results from it, isn't it? Really, how many people? Yeah. I mean, already yeah. there's injuries, there's deaths. I mean, let's call it for what mm-hmm. it is. There actually is, and that's global as well, particularly yeah. in countries like ours. Indeed, and the interesting thing is that you know we had for you know over a year the uh, the news channels giving us a, a daily update on how many people were dying, um, uh, and yet now when we have excess deaths going through the roof every week. Not a single mention in our mainstream media of the amount of people that are dying now because they don't want to know because they're the wrong kind of deaths. These are deaths that are happening in younger people, um, deaths that are happening because of the vaccines, and they they don't wish to uh, admit in any way that that they can be dangerous. They're still saying that they're safe and effective. We'll try telling that to the loved ones of the people that have passed away because of them. Um, it's it, I think that's one of the biggest crimes against humanity that's ever been committed um that people are still to this day knowing that people have died from these vaccines still go on the television and tell you that it's safe and effective absolutely disgusting it's happening here as well in fact there's been a spike an uptick in people taking boosters like quite wow. an uptick here because it's been promoted heavily again well, i've got to tell you in this country uh, there's a there's a website you can go on you can type in your postcode and it tells you what percentage of your postcode are having covid boosters and i did it for for my region uh, and there's a, a lot of reports that the uh the, the booster uptake is at 1.6 percent of the population yeah we've had a a spike which surprised me i thought we would have more tracked you know mm. uk or, or australia or something like that but no oh no we're going for the world record here i tell you oh dear which is a bit disappointing. Uh, sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, well, um, just to wrap it up, accountability. People have done wrong here. H- how do you see that? Yeah. Do you see any processes or any need? There always is a need for accountability, right? Absolutely, there's a need for accountability, and uh, and people will be pushing for that relentlessly, uh, certainly in this country. Um, I believe that they will try to throw a few important people under the bus and, and try to uh appease enough people by by throwing those people under the bus um but uh i don't think the movement in this country i don't think will stop until everybody has been held accountable you know so we've got people being sacked from their jobs you know matt hancock boris johnson all those kind of people you've had jacinda ardern in your country uh who you know when the when the heat comes on they run away um, and they just they just get replaced by another uh, puppet of the World Economic Forum. Um, but I, I well, I our prime minister hit her quota. Matt, our prime minister actually hit her quota of ninety five percent. Job done. No yeah, need to hang uh, around and, now. Thank and you. And then walked and then walked away into the sunset. And got herself another job uh, with a with another uh, globalist organisation. Net worth is through the roof now. You know. It's incredible how much money these these politicians can make on their on their salaries. It's just a, a amazing, and nobody seems to question the fact that they're uh, that they're corrupt as hell and taking backhanders all over the place. Yeah, and w- when it comes to accountability, you just think the useful idiots will be sort of thrown to the to the oh, lions. Yeah. I think there'll be there'll be a few thrown to the uh, thrown to the lions, uh, and hopefully they're going to hope that that appeases uh, the the people. Uh, I really do believe that we will keep pushing and, you know, we will keep outing these people. 
Matt, it's been really interesting hearing your experience. Thank you for sharing it with us. You're very welcome. Good to talk to you and uh, uh, hope things improve down there. Well, thank you and same for you and keep fighting and we will too. Good, man. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.